Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is SECQB on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you. Thanks for coming out today. This is tremendous. Do you know how easy this is for me? Welcome back, everybody, to SEC QB. Really excited about this episode. Got a lot of fun stuff to get through after week six in the SEC. Looks like things are starting to take shape and uh, storylines are, are really starting to set in for the SEC for this fall. And uh, also have a really fun interview. We had Aaron Murray on, former Georgia quarterback. Talked through a lot of different things with him, his time at Georgia, his thoughts on Stetson Bennett, and then his time with CBS Sports Network now. But uh, before we get into any of that, the NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. And uh, actually, my picks are above 500 for the year. So if you do want to take my picks now, feel free to uh, feel free to do that. Uh, but from, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well, which never closes. So head to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Well, Josh, man, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Always fun to catch up and do the weekly podcast with you. And I know. I know we're both busy. There's tons of football this week, a lot to talk about from last week, a lot of good games. And, you know, there's the strongest team in the country, in my opinion, is Alabama with the way they're playing. Yeah, no doubt. And that's who we're going to lead off with. Alabama 41, Mississippi State zero from last week. And we could say, go you know, talk round and round about Alabama and how fantastic Mac Jones and that offense is playing. And it looks like you know, regardless of, of injuries, you know, whatever happens with them, the show just goes on and they're playing at a really high level. And on the other side for Mississippi State, I don't know what, I mean, it just baffles me that they won that game. I get LSU struggling a little bit this year, but I still can't figure out how they won that game and put up that many points because they look, I mean, completely anemic on offense now. Since that first game against LSU uh, at Tiger Stadium, actually 623 yards passing for KJ Costello and Mike Leach, it looks like it looked like they were going to set the world on fire. They come back and lose four straight first five possessions against Bama last week. They had 21 yards, zero first downs. They don't got anything downfield that they're doing. They don't run the ball well. Costello's thrown one touchdown and eight picks since that ball game, and they've shuffled quarterbacks a little bit. You're right, Mac Jones has been outstanding. But I think that was the first time Mike Leach's coached team uh, has been shut out, uh, you know, in his coaching career, in his college coaching career. So, man, what a what a performance by Bama. Their defense looks like it's really coming together at the right time and really going to take off uh, the second half of the season. They got great corners. They got great safeties. And then now that front four is starting to eat, and you can see it against Mississippi State. Yeah, they're they're they've scored seventy four points on the season total, second worst only to to Vanderbilt at forty seven on the year, and really Mississippi State really struggling on the offensive side of the ball. Now, speaking of bad offensive football, Georgia Kentucky was uh, was a pretty gross game, and I know some people, you know, SEC in particular, love the defensive 
you know, knock down, drag out games, but I don't think this was good defense. I think this was bad offense. Georgia 14, Kentucky three. I get Kentucky's working through some issues at the quarterback position with injuries, but man, Stetson Bennett in that offense, it feels like they've taken a step backwards from, from the first couple games of the season. I know I was high on Stetson Bennett and felt like, hey, they could still do some things with him, but I think he's got five picks over the last five quarters and, mm-hmm. and they, they're going to have to he is not good enough to overcome turnovers like that. No, I think what the Georgia offensive staff's trying to do is keep the ball on the ground. Uh, Stetson Bennett is limited. He threw 13 passes in that game against Kentucky. They not they're not opening up the playbook for for that quarterback. And 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 I like Stetson and what's he what he brings to the table. But he's not a dynamic player. You said it. He's he's very limited. Uh, and and they they run the ball and play good defense. That's Georgia football. They tried to go to the spread and it's it, it's not working with this quarterback class or group or or room. So it's like you know I just think they got to run the football. They got to play good defense. Uh, Zamir White, Z Man, they call him 131 yards rushing. He has a, he had a huge day. That was the difference. But that Kentucky defense is very physical. Kentucky's offense is is a real problem historically they're they you know they were a passing team now they went to a run-based team the last five ten years and they're just not producing points but defensively they can play with anybody and that's why that game was 14 to 3 uh georgia gave up 100 yards rushing but they less than 100 yards passing so kentucky can't throw the football at all yeah i mean stetson bennett's stat line 9 of 13 131 yards and two picks and that's just it's not going to get it done and and down the stretch if you're Georgia and, and you are planning on winning this upcoming game against Florida winning the east and then have a chance to beat Alabama they've got to figure out a way to get the ball downfield in the pass game and Stetson Bennett has to stop the turnovers but uh, shifting over uh, this was a game that a lot of people had circled because it was you know is Arkansas a pretender or not i think Arkansas actually looked pretty good but this Texas A&M team Texas A&M 42 Arkansas 31. This A&M team, there is a, an outside shot. There's this storyline brewing now, and I can't believe it, where A&M, if they run the table with their one loss being Alabama, who I agree looks like the best team in the country, if you get a two-loss SEC East team, if you get a two-loss SEC East, they lose to Alabama in the SEC championship. Texas A&M has one loss. There's a chance here that, S- that the SEC has two teams in the Final Four with A&M sneaking in with one loss. Yeah, A&M's playing good ball. I mean, since that Alabama game, they they really charged, especially on offense. They feel like they they do have good leadership. Mon has a lot of experience. He's playing well. He's not turning the ball over. They're running it as well. I just think they got up big, big and they kind of cruised. The two late touchdowns by Felipe Franks in the fourth quarter for Arkansas in that ball game. But A&M, 42 points on the board. Mon, three touchdowns, pass 35-yard one, six-yard touchdown pass, 15-yard touchdown pass. Any can run a little bit and make some play. So offensively, they're also good on third down. They're also good at time of possession. And that's coaching leadership. And then at, at that quarterback position, a guy that knows what he's doing and he's been in, in a lot of big ball games. So I think that's really helping AM right now get to the level that they think they can play with anybody. And, and you know, since that lost Alabama, they played great, great football. Yeah, they I mean they're favored. AM is favored in every game down the stretch for the rest of their schedule. And there is a with the Big 12 being as bad as they are this year, and it, it just looks like you're gonna end up with a one or two loss Big 12 champion. I think there's a case to be made that if AM runs the table and they they're sitting there with one loss and they played a 10-game SEC slate and that's it, there's a chance they sneak in. But speaking of the SEC East, this game, Missouri, Florida. The big headline, obviously, was the fight before half, the brawl, and then Dan Mullins 
kind of being all over the place. He comes back out, is trying to get the crowd pumped up, then does his post-game presser in a Darth Vader outfit. And I get, you know, the, pumping up your fans. It's an emotional game. Obviously, the fight pumps people up. But for him, I, I just thought, man, I, I think we're doing too much right now. And, and I would I'd love for him to get back to just coaching football. It feels like his antics are starting to be a little bit of a distraction. Yeah, you know, Florida, after a week layoff and the loss to A&M, they came out and scored points. And Florida, that's what Florida does. They score points. Dan Mullen is an eccentric guy. He's he's a redneck, but he's eccentric. And I like the <laughs> good game day play caller. He really is. But, you know, the Darth Vader thing may be a little too much. I mean, not like they beat Bama on the road. I mean, they beat Missouri and they were favored. I mean, so let's come, come on, Florida. Let's play better defense. Uh, let's put yourself in a position to win some big games like come the week, this game coming up this week against Georgia. I mean, Missouri means something, but Georgia means a ton, especially in the recruiting battles and in the in the south, you know, in the southeastern conference on the on the on the east side. So, or in the east division. So, this is a big ball game coming up for them. Yeah, uh, Kadarius Tony had a huge day. A lot of big playability on that offense. Great receivers. Maybe Dan Mullen's best receiving group he's ever had, and that's including Mississippi State with Dak Prescott and that group. This receiving group is great. They've got their All-American tight end with Pitts, and they can score points with anybody. They can score points, and we'll get to this later, but I think Florida is going to present, present some problems for Georgia this week. Uh, this one, Josh, I, I know this one's going to hurt your heart. Auburn 48, LSU 11. I, at the beginning of the year, I was an LSU sympathizer and was saying, you know, LSU fans, take a step back from the cliff. You guys are replacing as much talent as has ever come off of one single roster from last year. But there, there's bigger problems right now than just the players that they have. They've got some schematic issues. What, what stood out to you most out of this, this beatdown? Yeah, I just think it was one of it was the worst loss in the 2000s for in the last 20 years for LSU. When you get beat by Auburn by 48-11, it's just on, on defense. We're not doing anything positive to, you know, to, to really rally the troops. And it's like here we go again. Once once somebody scores on us, it's like we tank. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's the young players that we've got on defense or the youth, I guess. Uh, there's not a lack of talent. There's a lack of knowledge and effort, I think, by the defensive players. And that's really showing up every Saturday. It's like right when you think we get over the hump against South Carolina and played a pretty decent game, like a bend and not break game. But but uh, against Auburn, I mean, we made uh, Bo Nix look like uh, a superstar. You know, he had 300 yards passing. They had 206 yards rushing. They did whatever they wanted against us. And, yeah, they got a good offensive team. And Bigsby's good at the running back position. But – couldn't give up 507 yards total offense to, to Auburn in a big matchup game like that when she's known for playing good defense. Both teams are very physical and fast, but LSU, it just looks like they're playing on their heels and they don't know what they're doing on defense. It's presenting a lot, lot of problems. And we've got the majority of the best games on the schedule, or biggest games uh, against best. We got three top 10. I say we, LSU, got three top 10 games remaining on the schedule. So if teams like this are, that aren't huge offensive output teams are doing this to us. I, it's going to be embarrassing what Alabama and Florida and them could do to us. Yeah, and on the flip side for Auburn, this was the win that they – after that loss to South Carolina, it was like, how do you get the mojo back? They beat Ole Miss. It was close. This was a definitive win, and now you get Mississippi State and Tennessee, two games that they should win before they close out with Alabama and A&M. So these wins are coming at the right time for Auburn to try and get their mojo back. Uh, and then last game from week six, we'll, we'll close out our recap. 
Ole Miss 54, Vanderbilt 21. Uh, for Ole Miss, I mean, Matt Corral still really settling in nicely into that offense, and we know that they can score points. I thought this was his best performance to this point in the year, 31 of 34 for 412 yards and six touchdowns. He was the SEC player of the week. I think he is – once they figure out a way to stop somebody at some point, they've got a chance to, to, to win a lot of games under with him at quarterback. Sure. I mean, 19 straight pass completions, a record at Ole Miss, school record, 31 of 34. You mentioned the 4 12, six touchdowns. Slinging it all over the field. Lots of diversity on his throws, which I like. Looks super comfortable back there. He's fearless. You know, he played a great game against Bama. We talked about that several weeks ago, but this – this game was like a holy cow game for him. And I know Vandy's defense is not good, but it's hard to go out there versus air and complete one out of 34 balls and, and do it in different ways. I just think this guy's a really good athlete. And if they play some defense, like you mentioned, if they, if they start playing some defense, man, they can score points in bunches. I mean, they, we, we, they showed that against Alabama too. Alabama really didn't slow them down much all, all, all game two weeks ago. So it, it's fun to watch these Ole Miss games because they can just – they can pour points, uh, you know, put points up on the scoreboard like crazy and pour them in. So it's fun, it's fun to watch, and Corral is just a – Elijah Moore the, the, had a monster day too, the receiver, 238 yards, 14 grabs in, in a college game. That's, that's dynamic. Yeah, they've got plenty of offensive weapons. But as we close out week six, I think it's still very much is Alabama and then everybody else. I think there's a, there's a step down from Alabama to everybody else, either on the West and out of the East. Um, but still, that we got a, a shorter slate coming up, four games this upcoming week, which we'll break down in a minute. But first, like we mentioned at the Open, we had a really good time, enjoyed speaking with Aaron Murray. And uh, I think that he's got some thoughts that – uh, I think we agreed with on the quarterback position at Georgia and just the direction of the program. So right now we welcome on Aaron Murray. All right. We now welcome on one of the best Georgia quarterbacks of all time, Aaron Murray, uh, all time leading. And I didn't know this actually, but all time passing TD record holder in the sec. Aaron, how you doing? Good, man. Uh, just happy that we've made it through well, we had 10 weeks now. So we made it through nine weeks of college football and uh, it's been entertaining. It's been fun. And, I'm an SEC guy, so we had a lot of entertainment this weekend, especially that Missouri-Florida uh, halftime debacle fight slash <laughs> dudes throwing you know haymakers. And it was funny, I was talking to my buddy Drew Butler, who, who, who kicked at Georgia um, and then in the NFL for a while, about, man, just imagine if we didn't have football uh, this fall, what would we be talking about during the week? It'd just be uh, really depressing, <laughs> really sad. And it's, you know, even with all the craziness and, you know, Joking aside about that Florida-Missouri game, you never want to see a fight, but at least it gives us something to talk about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then, uh, you know, preview some games for the, the next weekend. When you when you look at last week, Aaron, you, you know, Florida, big win. Georgia kind of grinded it out against Kentucky, kept it on the ground, bent it through 13 passes. Um, they ran the ball effectively, but, you know, this game this week, you're playing a high-octane offense. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs are having to face uh, Dan Mullen, who's a great play caller. You know, what do you think Georgia's got to do offensively to be able to handle maybe the points that Florida can put up potentially, even though Georgia's defense is really good, Florida can score? I think they do what they did versus Kentucky. And, and I'll even go back to when Georgia played on the road against Alabama, and I thought the first half they did a great job of running the football and, and they kind of got away from that. They got kind of got away from their identity there in the second half. And then, 
you know, you get a couple turnovers and all of a sudden Alabama, that offense, you give them a short field and it's amazing just how fast they can score. And that's the same thing when you face Florida, uh, you know, these guys can score in a hurry, whether it's Pitts or Tony. Uh, I love Kyle Trasman. The kid is just, he's accurate. He, he puts the ball in a great place for his receivers to, to make plays. He doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, but you know, the ball's out of his hands. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take sacks. And like I said, he's, he's extremely accurate. And then he just has playmakers that go out there and do their thing. I mean, Tony last week, his, his first touchdown made like five dudes miss, uh, somehow just kept going around in circles and found his way into the end zone. Uh, he's just a heck of an athlete. And we all know what Pitts is at tight end. And, you know, the, the best thing Georgia can do is just keep that offense off the field. You know, you look last week versus Kentucky, you know, they're having long drives, you know, 15 play drives that are seven, eight, nine minutes. If you're able to do that, I think that's a way you can keep this game close because, you know, Alabama kind of had their way with Georgia defensively. And that was when Georgia was at full strength on that side of the football. Uh, you look at Georgia this week, they're going to be missing a ton of guys. They'll be missing both their safeties. Uh, a bunch of guys got hurt in the, in the game last week versus Kentucky. So I just don't know how strong they are and, and the kind of depth and, and, mm-hmm. and the, especially at the safety position. That's what that's to me, that's was really concerning because we talk about Kyle Pitts and if you're going to play man-to-man coverage, you know, you're most likely going to have a safety lined up on Pitts. you know, so are they going to now have to put one of their corners on Pitts, which then you put a bigger guy on a slot receiver. So there's just a lot of mismatches that because you don't have your studs in the back end playing this game that, that I think Kirby's going to have his handful uh, a little bit with, with Kyle Pitts and, and, and Tony and Dan Mullen's ability to move those guys around and really create some ma- mismatches. So it's going to be tough, but I guess I think the number one thing is you just got to keep the offense off the field, run the football, no t- turnovers, uh, and see if you can steal some points. Aaron, I think this was, I believe, maybe on your podcast, but and I'm in complete agreement with you on, on Stetson Bennett and the direction the team has gone at the quarterback position, that if there was somebody else, whether it be JT Daniels or somebody else that was a better fit that don't you think they would have given them a shot at some point this season? And I'm right there with you. Do you think that they're going to just figure out how to get the most out of Stetson Bennett through the rest of this season? Cause, cause I, th- I think they're not going to make a change at any point through the rest of this season. Would you agree? Yeah. It, it, I was just dying laughing. Cause I mean, I just look at my Twitter feed and hearing fans and everyone's like, bro, you know, why, why is JT not playing? JT right. should be playing. JT's awesome. JT's, <laughs> going to be the best quarterback in the sec jt was awesome at usc blah 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 i'm like dude these guys are getting paid millions of dollars these coaches if jt was the best quarterback he would be playing it's just it, it's hilarious mm-hmm. that you know fans obviously think that, that the grass is always greener on the other side and you know even what i've read this week is JT's getting scout team reps and that's it um stetson's getting the number ones and and they're trying to work dewan in and obviously there's been some rumors that dewan may enter the transfer portal um I just still go back to that Arkansas game to start the season off. And, you know, I had a chance to see Dwan as a freshman uh, in, in spring practice. And he just, I mean, he, he, to me as a young kid, I was like, holy smokes, who's this quarterback? Big kid, great arm, athletic, obviously had some, uh, some mental stuff that went, went down last year, wasn't able to participate. And then, you know, I talked to Munkin in, in, in the preseason, Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator for Georgia. And I was like, what do you think about the quarterbacks? And, you know, I think he was in agreement with myself is, is, you know, you got a kid in, in Dwan Mathis who is, is extremely talented, but very green. Someone that is not going to go out there day one and wow you, but that's someone that if you give him three, four, five games is going to get continuously get better and better and better the more reps he gets. And, 
you know, I thought they pulled the rug on him just way too early. And, and looking mm-hmm. at it, looking at it now, Arkansas is pretty damn good. And that defense is pretty darn good for Arkansas. And the fact that they weren't running the ball well, they had a ton of penalties in the first quarter. You know, obviously he didn't play his best, but he got one quarter and that was it. So I wish they would have stuck with him. And I think he would have been a 10 times better quarterback from that Arkansas game to right now. Um, and, and listen, you know what you're going to get from Stetson. And, and Stetson has to do a better job protecting the football. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's an issue. But I'll go back to what I said a few weeks ago, and I've been kind of saying this all season about Georgia. You know, people always want to blame the quarterback. It's always the quarterback's fault. Georgia does not have receivers that are dominant. They don't. You know, people love Pickens and, oh, Pickens had a great bowl game and Pickens is the second coming of A.J. Green. Pickens is nowhere near A.J. Green. Nowhere. Pickens runs a couple really good routes. He'll run a good fade. He'll run a good hitch. Every now and then a slant. He is limited in what he can do. And once again, the fans out there, they're saying that he's so good and that they're just not utilizing him. If Todd Munkin thought he was good enough, he would get him the ball more. They would figure out ways to move him around the offense to get him more touches. So I don't, I think Pickens is good. He's not elite. Uh, The other guys on that team are good. They're not elite. They don't have an elite playmaker on that offense. They don't have a dude that can bail a quarterback out. The quarterback has to be perfect and the receiver has to be perfect for this offense to move the football. There's not, like I said, there's not a guy like you see some of these other teams that can catch a slant that can catch a bubble screen and take it to the house. Um, So, you know, once again, everyone wants to blame the quarterback there's more issues on that offense. They don't have elite guys on the outside to help a guy like Stetson make it make his life a little bit easier. You know, and the, I guess the big picture every year, Georgia is to, is to win a you know their goal is to win a championship, and of course Florida's same way. They're trying to build something amazing there, and Mullen's done a great job. Florida normally their front four always really good with the pass rush. Uh, this year they've given a lot up on the back end and. Maybe that's because that pass rush isn't as elite as it normally has been. And this historically significant game, as it is every year, can Stetson handle that front four if they if they really uh, get after him a little bit? And can he take this team and that Georgia offense to the to the ultimate goal or next level and being a, a great offensive team? Because we hadn't really seen great. But you've seen several drives where they put it together. Can they really develop an offense with Stetson Bennett back there? Uh, or is he just too limited, you think? Well, I just think the entire offense is too limited. You know, I, at the end of the day, the only way this team is going to win football games is by um, just understanding, which I think they saw last week versus Kentucky, understanding that their identity is running the football, dominating the line of scrimmage, eating up a 10 o'clock and then playing great defense. I mean, that's, that is the only way Georgia is going to win. And I know a lot of fans are upset about that. We we bring in Todd Munkin. We're expecting all these points. Um, We want to be Alabama. We want to be what LSU was last year. We want to score 40, 50 points a game. That's fun. That's what we want. That's sexy. That's not who Georgia is. Uh, And like I said, it's not just Stetson. It's the receivers. Um, They just don't have those guys on the roster right now to be able to put up 30, 40, 50 points a game. Like I said, this team is very limited all around on that side of the football. They have an elite defense, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think people nowadays mm-hmm. are just so enamored with all these offenses, scoring a ton of football, ton of points, and you know that's what they want. They want, you know, just like baseball, they want home runs. They want big hits. They don't want singles and doubles. They want, you know, let's go for the, the, the go for the big the big one. 
Uh, and that's the same thing with offenses. People all of a sudden, they want all these big explosive plays. And yes, it's great. And as a quarterback, I love that kind of stuff too. But if you don't have the horses, you can't make those type of plays. So um, they just got to, the, the one thing that Setson has to do better, like I said earlier, is that he just has to take care of the football. Uh, he has to do better of job of not turning it over and, and taking points off the board for his offense. But this is still an offense that's going to score in the mid-20s to low-30s every single week. Uh, and you just hope that their defense shows up and plays elite football like we know they can play. Yep. To, to piggyback off of something you said a minute ago, and I think this gets lost now as, as the season goes by, but Jamie Newman was obviously supposed to be the guy. He opts out. And when you go back and look at who he was as a player at Wake Forest, the comparison that gets made between him and JT Daniels, I, I just don't think is fair because when you go back and watch JT Daniels, this wasn't some crazy dynamic player that was putting SC on his back and winning games with them. And so I somehow this gets lost where they Georgia fans specifically and fans around the country keep waiting for, you know, why isn't JT Daniels out there? How come he isn't playing over Stetson Bennett as though he was this guy that was this all world savior at the quarterback position. So I, I agree with you. We talked, Josh and I talked early in the year. I love Stetson Bennett's moxie. I love that he's just a dude that you can tell he believes in himself. I think he's had the, the last, I think he's had five quarters in a row with an interception and that's something mm -hmm. he's going to have to to clean up moving forward. Um, but I do think to your point, he's getting way too much blame because, and I love that you pointed that out, that that offense is limited and it's not Stetson Bennett's fault. There are, you referred to, there's just not the dudes that you've come to expect from, from Georgia, but not to, uh, not to beat a dead horse there. We'll, We'll move on a little bit. Wanted to ask you, Aaron, I know you're, you're with uh, CBS Sports Network now, and we've had a, a, some conversations just around how bizarre this year has been. What does that look like calling games? I mean, are you guys having to get tested multiple times a week? And, and, and what's travel look like? Just to walk everybody through what calling games looks like. Yeah, usually in the years past, I would leave depending on where the game was, either yeah, I try to take like the last flight out Thursday. Uh, and luckily I live in Atlanta. So there's always tons of flights and usually direct flights everywhere I go. Or um, if it was an easy trip, I would leave Friday morning. Uh, now with, with COVID, we have to be there by Thursday afternoon because we have to get a test uh, that we get the results back on Friday. So they want us there to get tested in case you test positive, then they have to then figure out, okay, what's plan B? Do we have someone in the studio call the game while the play-by-play -play guy is on site or vice versa? if he was sick and I was fine. So, you know, it's kind of like get there Thursday afternoon and pretty much just sit in a hotel uh, for two days until my game, which kind of stinks. And, <laughs> you know, I'm a lot of, you know, it gives me some time to at least catch up on, you know, some notes and things I have to do in preparation for the game. And, you know, maybe even now and then like last week I was in, uh, I was in Utah. I had the, the San Diego state at Utah state game and it's a beautiful day outside and there's some great hiking. So I think, you know, we're, allowed to do some act outdoor activities they don't want us like in the gym or go in the restaurants it's pretty much just uber eats to the hotel sitting in the hotel or like i said if i can go on a nice hike somewhere i'll go find a nice hike and get outside and get some fresh air but it's kind of just a sitting game waiting and watching and you know most of my games are mountain west games so they're usually you know seven eight nine o'clock at night so I, got, I bring both my computers i got the tv in the hotel room and i got my notebook and i mean shoot i'll get 10 to 15 games watched and notes taken during, you know, anticipating my game later in. And then on the flight home, I'll download some games. We got an app um, that I'm able to go back and watch on Exos, the games I missed. So it's just a lot of game watching during the weekend, 
taking notes uh, and sitting around a hotel. So not as glamorous and fun as years past where we're going to dinners as crews and, you know, maybe going to mm-hmm. get some drinks and that kind of thing. It's kind of, like I said, sit in a hotel room where Uber eats and, uh, and just watch football and a lot of Netflix. I had uh, that. that's awesome. I had a kind of a player's perspective question for you. And in this matchup <clears throat> back in 2012, uh, you beat the blitz and won a game with a late TD throw. I don't know if you remember it, but you saw it come and recognized it, it delivered a strike to the left. It was a hitch or curl mm-hmm. guy made a miss, took it to the house, but tell the listeners as a quarterback, how important it is for QBs to recognize pressures and make good decisions, especially in a heated situation, game on the line. I call them like big time environment throws. There's nothing better. Yeah, I remember we we had a three by one uh, formation, and, and Malcolm Mitchell was to my left, and he was running what we call just a run it route. It's a, it's an eight yard hitch. Uh, it's locked uh, no matter what. He, he'll never convert it. And I saw uh, the Mike declaration was to the Mike, the Mike linebacker of the three. So we had the nickel Mike and Will. So that put, I believe, Todd was the running back at the time. That put Todd on the Will linebacker. Um, you know, I saw rotation week. Strong safety was going high. Free safety was coming to my left. Um, so I, we did a hard cadence. Blue 80, blue 80 said hut. Saw the rotation. Redeclared the mic to the Will. So that put the offensive line on the four down and the Will linebacker. And then that put uh, Todd on the safety. So then we were able to pick up that Will Wanda, Will free safety blitz off the outside. Uh, just to give me time, I mean, the ball was going to come out, but just mm-hmm. to make sure that you know, there was no deflection because you get a free safety coming off the edge at full speed, you know, he may be able to get his hands up and knock the football. So this allowed Todd to get on him uh, to make sure the ball was out. And, and it, I knew it was man-to-man coverage based on the blitz on the outside. And, and Malcolm caught it. He made a couple of dudes miss, split two. Uh, it was able to get in the end zone. And, you know, one of my favorite plays of all time, you know, especially in that kind of football game. But, you know, that's, that's, that's why guys – you know, that's why the cadence, I think, is, is one of the most important things. I mean, you, you go back to Payne Manning and, and why he was so good is because he put himself and his offense in the best position at all times because he was able to call the play in the huddle really fast, get to the line of scrimmage, use two, three, you know, sometimes three times he was able to go through his cadence to figure out what the defense was doing, the chess match that was going on. And like I said, then be able to put his offense in the best position to go out there and, and make play. So, yeah, you know, the more you can use cadence, uh, the more you can re-identify the mic, get mm-hmm. the offensive line to block who they need to block to, you know, at times be able to get the running back out on route uh, is, is huge for all quarterbacks. Um, you know, it, it keeps your jersey clean. Like I said, it allows the running back to get out when sometimes he maybe have to block. Uh, and then it's able to pick up some of these exotic blitzes that, that you know, we're seeing in, you know, at all levels of football. Because I watched Georgia – and the blitzes they're bringing, it's just, it's, it's crazy to me. Like it's some stuff that I'm like, thank God I have to deal with this eight years ago. It's just <laughs> the, the advances we're seeing in defense is, is just uh, amazing. The disguises they can bring and, and stuff. But like I said, the weapon the offense has is this, we dictate the cadence. We can at least kind of identify stuff by using cadence to kind of slow things down. That's awesome. I, that's a, a phenomenal story. And I love anytime you ask quarterbacks specific plays like that, it, it amazes people when you can go back to a moment like that and walk through all the details. Cause it's just ingrained in you. That, that was awesome stuff, but Aaron, man, we appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for, for jumping on with us. That was good stuff. And um, enjoy the game this weekend. Be well, stay safe. And we will, uh, we'll chat with you again soon. All right. Appreciate it guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks Aaron. Thank you, buddy. All right, Aaron, thanks again for joining us. We had a, really enjoyed getting to catch up with him. 
Um, and now look ahead to week seven. Well, actually, before I say that, the picks for week six, Josh, I'm sorry to, that we're, I'm going to air the dirty laundry here, but that was my, that was my best week to this point. That was a, a five and one performance for me. Go ahead, um, it in. I know. I'm sorry. I, I hate to do it to you. A, a two and four performance for you, oh. um, which it puts me to this point in the year at 13 and nine. So well above 500, <laughs> proud of that. And Josh, will we will not? I won't. Well, actually, I will. You're at nine and thirteen. So oh, yeah. well, too many. Need, all it takes is one week. All it takes is one week. You just need to run the table with this one. Uh, but we'll jump right into it. This line is uh, is interesting to me primarily because Georgia can't score. But Florida's at Georgia, although it's neutral site, minus three and a half. Yeah, I mean, I like Florida to be honest with you. I think their front four is playing better on defense. They're always good with the pass rush. Can Stetson at Georgia, the quarterback, handle that? And how far can he take this team? I think the Georgia offense uh, cannot score enough points to to really uh, disable what Florida can do offensively. And I think it's a I think it's a forty two twenty seven game. I li- I like Florida in this matchup just because of what they're doing offensively compared to Georgia. Florida's got so many weapons. I don't care how good Georgia is defensively, they're going to put some points up. I think it's just a it's a game that, that you know that's going to showcase what Florida can do offensively and what Georgia can't do offensively. Uh, I'm right there with you. I think Florida wins this game outright, and I think it's for all the reasons you just said. Georgia does not want this to turn into a shootout, and that's exactly what Florida wants it to be. I've got Florida winning this game. Uh, move over to Vandy at Mississippi State. I, I can't believe Mississippi State is favored by anybody by 19, but but that's what the line's at. I kind of like Vandy in this game. I mean, Mississippi State has some real issues too. Kylan Hill, pro, they're all, they're all SEC running back. They've got no run game, no downhill pass game. Vandy, though, hadn't stopped anybody. Both teams are on a four-game losing streak. Two worst scoring offenses. Uh, Vandy's dead last. I mean, but Costello and two, I, I don't know. I think Vandy can keep it close. I mean, I would say Vandy, you might lose by 14, but I, I think Mississippi State definitely wins the ball game. Uh, right there with you again. I think Vandy loses the game, but I think it's – I don't know. We'll see what happens. Mississippi State could win this by three touchdowns. That could very easily happen. But I think this is the type of game that Vandy gets up for, thinks they can can win, and keeps it close for most of the game. So I like Vandy as well. Uh, this, to me, is the most exciting matchup of the week. We don't have a lot of the big dogs playing this week. But A&M at South Carolina, A&M road favorites by 10. Wow, I know the, the lines moved early too. Uh, it went from seven and a half all the way up to ten. So everybody likes A and M that are putting money, you know, putting money on the game so far. I think, you know, with the veteran quarterback, we talk about it a lot. Good on third down, leading nation, leading the SEC in time of possession, balance, coaching, good matchup for A and M. I think because South Carolina, their O line hasn't been great. Texas A and M's front four is pretty good with their pass rush. They create pressures and sacks, and that'll throw South Carolina's offense off. I don't. I don't think South Carolina has enough offense. A and M scores a lot and covers. Yeah, this is so again based in Austin, close to to A and M. This is the type of game I've been around A and M in Texas my whole life. This is the kind of game that A and M has a letdown, and I think they still win this game. But this is the the type of scenario they get a little bit of momentum. And all of a sudden they go out and either lay an egg and lose a game or they keep a team, a team hangs around that they should blow out. I'm going to take South Carolina. I think it's close. I think A&M wins the game, but I think it's a, a three point, six point type victory for A&M. So I'll go South Carolina. Uh, this one, I think also this will really tell us a lot about both of these teams. 
and what the back half of the schedule will look like for them. Tennessee at Arkansas. Tennessee's favored by a point and a half. Tennessee last in converting third downs in the league, 26%. Haven't, hadn't thrown for 200 yards in three of the last four games. No firepower on offense. Hadn't run the ball well either. Garantano, fifth-year seniors, not enough production. Hence some instability there at quarterback. I like Arkansas. Felipe Franks had a big week last week, even though they lost. He ran for 91, threw for two-something. I, I just think he gives them a real chance to sustain drives and play better offensively than Tennessee. I like Arkansas to win the game. I'm, I'm with you again. I think this is the most that we've agreed on picks all, this whole season. I'm, I'm going Arkansas as well. I think Arkansas wins the game. And I think it's for the reasons you mentioned. They, they play w- really well at home. And Garantano hit, has really struggled the last couple weeks. And I don't see this being the, the game that he rebounds. So I'm, I'm going Arkansas in this game as well. Um, well, we'll have an update on those obviously next week. Thank you guys again for, for tuning in. It's been uh, this was a, a fun week to recap and hope you enjoy the Aaron Murray interview. And again, you can follow us on Twitter, Josh booty 10 and I'm at T McCarg 16 and find this on all the normal platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon podcast. Um, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.